Whether you drive a car, need a car, or just occasionally bum a ride with friends, you've come to the right place. Join the editors of Consumer Guide Automotive as they break down everything that's going on in the auto world. New car reviews. Shopping tips. Driving green. Electric cars. Classic cars. And plenty of great guests. This is the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast. Here's your host, Tom Appel. This is the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast, and I am Tom Appel, publisher of Consumer Guide Automotive. Thanks for being here today. Please check us out at consumerguide.com. Be sure to check out our 2020 Best Buys, our newly minted 2020 Best Buys. If you are looking for a car, your test drive list should start right there. If you're not looking for a new car or truck, do check out our blog because that's all sorts of fun. Uh, I'd like to say hello to my co-host today, Jill Simonello. Jill is syndicated automotive journalist, Jill Simonello. She knows some stuff about cars. Jill, how you doing? I'm doing all right. All right. Damon <laughs> Bell is here. Damon is the senior editor of ConsumerGuide.com. He is the glue that holds that organization together. He is president of the Midwest Automotive Media Association. He is also very tall. <laughs> which which matters sometimes. Well, sometimes you know. it does. We've got a lot of stuff going on today. Uh, later hey, you in the didn't show, ask me how I'm doing. I'm doing swell. <laughs> Man, all right, I'm checking this off. Damon is fine. Damon, how's it no, going? Swell. 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 I did say swell. The, the proper answer is dandy. Dandy. I'm doing fine and dandy. <laughs> Uh, all right. Later in the show, we're going to speak with John Volker. John is one of the founding editors of Green Car Reports and one of the most knowledgeable auto journalists in the U.S. when it comes to green and electric car technology. Uh, he wrote a fascinating article that we're going to get into. But first, Jill, I think you have some news for us. Yeah. So um, I believe a couple weeks ago, you guys talked about the launch of the Chevrolet Suburban Tahoe Duo. Sure did. You were uh, absent. I was. I was not there. There. I was uh, driving the CX-30, which we talked about last week. Whatever. Uh, whatevs, I know. Um, there's a Bitmoji for that. Um, <laughs> but, uh, and I have it. Uh, <laughs> and you're looking at me like, what in the hell's a Bitmoji? <laughs> um, okay, so, but back to the news. Um, so now, this week, uh, <laughs> we, we have um, the GMC is, is going to be do it, debuting the next-gen Yukon, and they're going to be doing it in January. So about a month after the Chevrolet debut, we have GMC kind of doing something similar for a similar vehicle. Yeah, these cars, it, it, it is difficult to overstate how important these vehicles are for General Motors. Mm-hmm. I've heard numbers, no one knows the exact numbers, that the profit on a Tahoe, that's the Chevy, or the GMC Yukon is something like $15,000 per vehicle. Mm. I heard a number a couple of weeks ago that 73% of all of General Motors operating profit, I think it was in 2018, came from their large crossovers and SUVs, or large SUVs, uh. their large rear drive SUVs. So now the GMCs are coming out. We saw yes. the Chevys. Yes. So that's the, that's the Tahoe and Suburban. Yes. Now we're going to see the Yukon, and they call the long Yukon the Yukon XL. Yeah. And one of the interesting things here, I think, is that General Motors has been working very diligently to make the Chevys and the GMCs more and more different. Exactly. Mm. And 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 they've accomplished that to a great degree. The styling isn't copycat anymore. Mm-mm. The interiors of the GMC have have moved up market. Mm-hmm. And then there's the Denali. Yep. Yeah. Which is which is very close to being a Cadillac Escalade. And right. and will be likely very chromey. Yes. Indeed. <laughs> With kind of a perforated uh, grill look to it. It's that, and that speaking of grills, like uh, in previous generations, the Tahoe and Suburban and the Yukon and Yukon XL, same basic body panels. Right. The grill, they did a good job of differentiating uh, within those parameters, but you could still maybe call it a little bit of badge engineering. Right. And what we've seen with the redesign of the Chevy Silverado and GMC Sierra full-size pickups, which happened for 2019, was a lot more differentiation between Chevy and GMC uh, in those pickups. And I'm kind of expecting the Tahoe and Suburban and Yukon and Yukon XL to follow a similar, similar path in that the Yukon will look a lot different. We might even see some different body panels. And in the same way that the Sierra had a lot of exclusive features that mm-hmm. the Silverado do- d- doesn't, right. like the multi-use uh, tailgate, right. uh, multi-function tailgate, and things like that, uh, I'm curious to see if, if they GMC adds some exclusive 
tech convenience features to the Yukons that aren't in the Chevys. I think so. And, and one of the great things about the GMC, if you're if you're just observing this as a marketing kind of aficionado, if you if you just love to watch stuff like that, the Denali subbrand basically lost launched with with the GMC Yukon and Yukon XL, and and. It is a legit step up, and and the buyer the buyer take rate, I think there is the highest, and it's close to fifty percent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's amazing how much those sell for. And yeah. they proliferated across GMC's yeah. model. Yeah, yeah, because there's now Sierra, there's yeah. Cal- or Canyon terrain has terrain. It. Yeah, mm-hmm. so they're everywhere. Uh, so that's worked really well for them. I'm also curious to see if if there's an AT4 version of this, the new Sierra which is uh, GMC's oh. large pickup, is yeah. now available with sort of a luxury uh, off-road version called the AT4. And it's sort of their answer to the Ram Rebel, uh, but it's a little bit more expensive and a little bit more upscale. Right. Will they do an AT4 version of the Yukon? That might be cool. Yeah, They uh, now that yeah. you mentioned that, they did it for the Acadia. Right. And right, that I forgot a, I believe that. that was a 2020 edition. I, it, it will not be at the same, you know, serious level that no. the Sierras. I believe the Acadia <laughs> was just a little bit of a raised ride height, some off-road knobbier tires. But I, I never thought about that, but that could very likely be uh, something they bring to the Yukon line. The other thing about the AT4 is it it is a luxury off-road model. Right. Which is perfect for the GMC brand. Yeah. So we'll see what GMC can do with AT4, what they did with Denali. But to your point, uh, a Yukon with a six-inch factory lift would be totally (laughs) awesome. (laughs) That could be cool. uh, And I don't think Chevy, if anything, like Chevy late in the game with the previous generation Tahoe, they came out with the RST model, which is kind of more of a street muscle version. And that has carried over to the 2021. So. That that would be a great way for them to further differentiate those two lines. Right, right. It would be their analog yeah, in terms right. of having a special model, yeah. but it would be very different. Yeah. Right. All right. So cool. Thanks, Jill. So, Jill, um, you're an automotive journalist. <laughs> Some days. Do you have a driver's license? Uh Yes, I do. You, you frequently find yourself behind the wheels of, of test products as uh, presented by manufacturers? I do. What you been driving? Uh, this week I'm actually driving the Genesis G70. And this is, it's a 2020 model. And this is their smallest sedan uh, in, in the lineup. So right now Genesis just has three vehicles, three cars. And um, I like to call this vehicle the three series killer. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Because this is a really, really interesting vehicle from, from Genesis. And and for those of you who are not necessarily familiar with the Genesis brand, this is the luxury brand of Hyundai. So uh, it's kind of like the the uh, Lexus version of Toyota um, in, in the Hyundai lineup. And uh, Genesis is um, doing some really interesting things and kind of carrying through the, the Hyundai, Hyundai mission of bringing more premium quality upscale materials technology features for not a lot of money. So, you know, if you'll remember a couple weeks ago, actually it's probably about a month now, I was driving the BMW M340i and we were talking about, oh my gosh, you know, here's this vehicle and it costs $70,000 and base price is at 40-ish. I think it was around 45, but you when you get all of the features added in, it's it's a $70,000 yeah, vehicle. Yeah, it was a pricey ride. Uh, it, yeah. And um, but now this week, you know, with the the G70, it also has a base price around forty six thousand dollars, and this is for the up level um, three point three liter turbocharged engine. Um, but it tops out around fifty three. At least the sticker sheet that I have says fifty three, and and it has some some pricier options added in. So it's it's not like it's um, you know just uh, the the you know. N- nickel and diming you it, it has you know some things like the you know the elite package and the prestige package very important sounding packages um, and the sport package but at the end of the day when you look at the two vehicles so the the G70 uh, delivers 365 horsepower and 376 pound feet of torque and then you can compare that to the M340i, which is, you know, the 3.0 liter uh-huh. um, i6 engine, um, 382 horsepower and 369 pound-feet of torque. So, I mean, in a way, comparable. relatively comparable yeah. similar numbers. And uh, I think the G70 is put together brilliantly. The The interior is top-notch. The The vehicle I'm in has um, this quilted patterned seating and the leather uh, and, and red reverse stitching. I mean, it just looks beautiful. Yeah, it and presents it, well. It looks yeah. very mm-hmm. high-end and very, you know, she-she. 
And now you're talking about basically the top line G70. There's a mm-hmm. four-cylinder turbo mm-hmm. that comes in much less expensive. Correct, correct. Yeah, the G70 is interesting, too, because it, there's finally some life in the old gal. Yeah. Genesis, I think we became aware of it in 2015. Uh-huh. We saw they the first, were launching the brand. They, they were launching yeah, the right. brand, right, yeah. right. And then, and then the product became available in 17. Mm-hmm. The G90, which is a large sedan, and then the G80, which is a midsize sedan, although a very large midsize sedan. Yeah. Both of those are competent cars. They're good cars. I think we consider them mm-hmm. for best buys at some point, uh, Consumer Guide, Best Buys, but but neither one of them was setting the world on fire because those are dead markets, for yeah. one thing. Yeah. So Genesis has just seemed kind of sleepy. Plus, there was this whole, this huge kerfuffle where Genesis, the, the, the Hyundai's you know, corporate oversight. Hyundai's corporate oversight of Genesis got a little messy in the in the um, franchise department, and there was some uncertainty about which dealers could sell it. And originally, they wanted dealers to commit to standalone property, and then they acquiesced that one of the products, the G80, could be sold through all Hyundai dealers. So it was very confusing. <laughs> right, right. So I think the brand got off to a really rocky start. I don't think a lot of people know about Genesis, but now the G70, right, which is now their volume car already. Yeah. Uh, is very interesting. It's in a segment that hasn't quite died yet. But the right. real big news now is that they've got crossovers coming, finally. Finally. Yeah, yeah three sedans isn't going to get it done these days. So they've no. got the GV80 coming. Yes. And we just determined that, that we should be seeing that very soon, yeah. if not by the time this airs. Right, mm-hmm. right, right. So they got that. That's a midsize crossover based on the mm-hmm. G80. And then a GV70 based on the car you're driving, right. we should probably see very soon as well. Right. Well, you know, the, the, the interesting thing about Genesis is they have a very, I mean, when you think about it, like this brand did not exist five years ago. So, right. I mean, they have a very rapid, quick fire product cycle and um, award winning too. I mean, the G70 that I'm driving right now, I believe last year was the North American car of the year. It was either last year or the year before. Whenever it came out, it right. was the North American car of the year. And so, um, you know, they, they aren't, somebody who is going to take 10 years to produce their next vehicle. Like we're, we're going to start seeing vehicles coming out fairly, fairly quickly. And, um, you know, another thing to, to remember here, Genesis had its Genesis mm-hmm. in the Hyundai brand. Do you re- do you remember the Hyundai Genesis? Sure. Yeah. So the Hyundai Genesis. There were two of them. There was a sedan and a coupe. Well, they yeah. So they had the the Hyundai Genesis yeah coupe, and then they had the Hyundai Genesis sedan, and then they had the the Equus. The Equus, yeah. Which became, I believe, the, the G eighty or G ninety, yeah. yeah. And then the Genesis is what became the G eighty, and then you know the the G seventy was just. And everything yeah. you just said is a bit part of their messaging issue. Yes. Um, I don't know to what extent luxury car buyers want to associate a luxury brand with Hyundai. Mm-hmm. And I have questioned out loud the wisdom of using the Genesis name as a brand simply because people knew it as a Hyundai. Right. That said, these cars are completely worth looking at. And oh, the yeah. price, the value is there. Well, I, I have a friend who was looking at a BMW 7 Series. And um, and he was like, but, you know, the name is just a little bit. And, I, you know, I don't know that I need to make a statement like that. And I said, you know what? You should go look at the, the new Genesis. Actually, at the time, it was the Hyundai Genesis. I said, you should go look at that and just check it out and see. And he drove it. And he was like, best vehicle ever. I'm totally buying this over a BMW. And actually okay, bought another one. Okay, it's not the best vehicle ever, <laughs> but it is really good. <laughs> but it is really good. Well, and yeah. I mean, the great thing about it is you have an up-level vehicle that that doesn't, because um, a lot of people don't necessarily need, they don't care about the badge. They don't need the name. Yep. And, and this vehicle is for that person. And he has now bought his second now Genesis vehicle because well, he likes it that much. If you're going to launch a luxury brand now, and if, especially if you're coming from a pedestrian brand, mm-hmm. I, I don't mean pedestrian, no knock on Hyundai, a range, I should say a mainstream. <laughs> brand, right, right. a popular brand, you, you need to sell on value first. Mm-hmm. Once you establish the brand, you can move on because Lexus really did that same thing mm-hmm. too. When Lexus came out of Toyota, those cars were a bargain. Yeah. This is 30 years ago, but they were a, a bargain. And, and if you went and shopped for Mercedes and then you went and shopped for Lexus, you're like, oh, that's kind of a good deal. Mm-hmm. And you need to do that first. So we'll see where that goes. But yep. uh, yeah, so you like the car? I, I think it's uh, pretty awesome. I, I It's fun to drive. It's very sporty. The engine sounds nice and throaty. Uh, I was a, a little bit late getting here this morning, so I had to accelerate rapidly <laughs> on several <laughs> occasions. <laughs> and uh, you know, my husband was in the car with me, and he was like, man, this thing moves. So... It's a bunch uh, yeah. of engine. 3.3 liters yeah. is kind of large. And then and then to turbocharge it. 
Yeah. There should be lots of torque. It, it, it moves. It's, yeah. it's fun. Cool. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Jill. Thank you. All right. We're going to take a break. A break. A break. I did that again. I did that last <laughs> week. Space Ghost. No, I did that two weeks ago. On the yeah. break. <sighs> we're going to take a break. And when we come back, <laughs> we're going to speak with John Volker. John is worth hearing about. John wrote an excellent article called Busting, Seven of the Most Common Myths About Electric Cars. We're, you're not going to want to miss that. Welcome back to the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast. All right, we're back. This is the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast, and I am Tom Appel, publisher of Consumer Guide Automotive. Thanks for joining us. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. I am car underscore guy underscore Tom on Twitter. Thank you for all my new followers. This whole radio thing is good for your, uh, for your visibility. Hmm. All right. We are now chatting with John Volker. John ran Green Car Reports for nine years. He now writes about cars and analyzes electric cars for a number of outlets. He is probably the nation's most preeminent expert on electric vehicles and the green car movement. John, how is it going? It's good. It's cold here in New York, but I'm happy to be talking to you guys. So thank you for having me. No, no, no. We're, we're very excited to talk to you today. You wrote something recently um, that I made everyone in the office read. Damon, didn't I? I copied it and handed it to everybody. You did. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm glad you did so. Yeah, good article. It is called Busting Seven of the Most Common Myths About Electric Cars. John, why did you write this? And, and how much time do you have on your hands? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I sleep a little bit more now that I'm not running a website that puts out six articles a day. But um, this actually came about because somebody I know through the old car hobby who lives in Australia sent me an email, one of these circulating emails that's basically, you know. That are always 100% correct. Things. Very trustable. letter. Send this to 10 of your closest friends. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, um, and he sent it to 70 of his closest friends. So... Um, <laughs> And he said, thought you might like to know this since you write about this stuff. And I looked at it and I just, my face fell and I had a full (laughs) pot of tea and it was early in the morning. So I wrote him back a fairly lengthy response trying to point out some of the um, incorrect info and fallacies and so forth. And then uh, never being one to waste good text, I turned it into an article. That's just good journalism. (laughs) John, can you talk a little bit about the, the most egregious myths that you busted here? Um, I think one of the most egregious myths is that electric cars are going to bring down the electric grid. We don't hear this quite so much anymore. We used to hear about coal tailpipes, that electric cars are just displacing pollution and that they're all run on coal anyway. Right. Um, For large parts of the world, that's simply not true. And when you do the numbers, in fact, even if you charge an electric car on the worst coal-heaviest grid... West Virginia say, you still are emitting the pollution of a 35-mile-a-gallon car, which is 10 miles a gallon better than the average new vehicle sold in the U.S. this year. So electric cars are already a win, even if you charge them on dirty power. And if you charge them on clean power, you're up around 100 miles per gallon (laughs) emissions. There's no way that any gasoline or diesel car will ever compete with that. So we don't hear so much about coal tailpipes anymore. What we do hear about is, oh, we get more electric cars, we're going to bring down the electric grid. I hear that one often. Ah. So number (laughs) one, um, if you talk to any utility executive, I ended up talking to a lot of people in the electric utility industry, which surprised me, but the readers liked it. Um, They like knowing about the energy ecosystem around it. Talk to utility executives. They worry a little bit about electric cars, but not a ton. What really was difficult for them to deal with was the sudden advent of cheap, inefficient air conditioning in the 60s and 70s. That put stresses on the grid way more than electric cars will because all of that air conditioning came online at peak demand. Okay. Right. Ninety percent of electric cars are charged either overnight at your house or wherever you live or at low rates during the day. Okay. That 90 percent of EV miles. So electric utilities actually love the idea of you plugging in your electric car overnight because it evens out their demand curve. 
Right now, they have a huge peak in the afternoon, and then they have what they call the trough at about 2 in the morning when no one is using any power. They love the idea of actually selling you power between midnight and 6 a.m. to charge your car. And so there was a study done about 10 years ago now that said even if magically two-thirds of all the miles driven in America today for all vehicles became electric overnight, that only adds 7% to total electric demand in the country. Okay? Electric vehicles are actually really efficient, and we use electricity for a whole lot of stuff. It will take us decades to get to the point where all of a sudden half or two-thirds of the miles are driven electrically. And utilities are in the business of figuring out future demand, planning for it, installing lines, and whatnot. I'll tell you another one that's sort of related, which is these uh, DC fast charging clauses on interstates. Yeah. We hear, oh my God, you know, those things, how are you going to run the power to them? A fast charging plaza at peak uses about as much as a Walmart. And we don't hear a lot about Walmarts bringing down the electric bill. (laughs) In fact, never. I've never heard that. Walmart says, we're going to build a building there. And the utility says, right, it'll take us X months to run the power you need. And there you are. It's the same thing with electric car fast charging clauses. Now, there are some details, which I'm not going to go into here. You need to plan for it. It's better if you put fast charging clauses close to where high voltage lines are. But look, utilities are in the business of providing power for the people who need it. They are utilities, right? (laughs) And so this is just not that big of a deal. What they will do is incentivize you to charge overnight and penalize you if you charge at the highest peak. If you suddenly decide that you want to charge your electric car on a 96-degree day when it's really humid out and everybody has turned on their air conditioner, there's probably a price disincentive. It will cost you more to do that. That's how electric power runs. John, this is interesting. There, there was an alarmist mentality to this going back a few years that spawned a conversation about the quote-unquote smart grid in which vehicles would actually play a role in supplying power and that the batteries in the vehicles would actually be tapped in high-need situations. And what you're saying here is that's probably not necessary. Um, it's an appealing idea. We call it vehicle-to-grid. And there was a lot of sort of theorizing in the early days about you can use vehicles as distributed energy buffers, basically. Right. Um, Sort of as a distributed version of electric utilities that now have large amounts of renewable power are experimenting with battery bunkers, essentially, because historically utilities generated electricity and it was used by customers within seconds. They didn't actually store it unless you count dams, and those are hard to build these days. <laughs> so, um, they, utilities experiment with basically huge climate-controlled bunkers where they have the same batteries as electric cars where they can store energy and then give it back as needed. And the idea was you use electric cars as a distributed version of this through the smart grid. Here's the problem. Um, vehicle makers warranty their cars for transportation use. They do not, as far as I know, warranty them to be backup home generators, (laughs) stabilizing devices for electric utilities, and a whole variety of other things. So possibly in the future that could apply, but then you get the problem of you own an electric car, right? Right. You have to contract with different utilities for the circumstances under which you would allow them to tap into your battery because they don't know that you have to drive 90 miles to a birthday party at 6 p.m. tonight. Right. right? Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's possible for fleet vehicles that have very predictable usages. Uh-huh. But I tend to be really on the skeptical side in terms of privately owned personal use vehicles doing anything like that in the near or medium term. Yeah. Cool. Uh, uh, 
I wondered about that a lot. I was talking to a guy, he's actually a physicist who was, who was working on some smart grid theory or something like that. And, and I, I wondered very much about the personal use of an electric vehicle and needing to use that vehicle and not being able to have a full charge when you walked out to your car. And I, it didn't seem like a very plausible or reasonable event. I, I think you're right on target. One of the attractive features about electric cars is that you have a full tank every morning. And it turns out that a number of vehicle owners actually love the idea of not having to visit a gas station. Um, sure. You just plug it in at night, like your phone, and you come out and your vehicle's recharged. But you want to make sure that you and you alone control the circumstances under which the vehicle actually gets charged and discharged. Now, there are, there are some things called grid stabilization services that basically use little bits of power only for seconds. Uh-huh. But again, you know, y- you have a mobile battery. It travels around through different utility service areas. And each of those utilities is, is an independent entity that you would theoretically have to sign a contract with. I just don't see it. I don't see it either. That's a fascinating insight. John, you also wrote a little bit about the rate of improvement of electric vehicles and specifically the lithium-ion battery. It seems to me that we're kind of in an incremental stage uh, with lithium-ion batteries. Is that the technology we're going to be sticking with for a while, and do you see it improving very much in, say, the next half decade or decade? Great question. That's really the key to the future of electric vehicles and the past decade that we've seen. Um, first off, there's this thing called Moore's Law, which is how fast computers improve. Right. They double in performance every 18 months. <laughs> if anybody says Moore's Law in relation to electric car batteries, <laughs> it's a big screaming hint they don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Mark that one down. Um, but electric car batteries historically, well, lithium-ion cells historically, and we're talking a quarter of a century now, on average, have improved 7% a year, which is to say for the same dollars, Mm -hmm. you get 7% more capacity, or the same capacity cell costs 7% less next year. That's a historic rate over many, many, many generations of cells. And in 10 years of covering this, I've found no one at automakers who says that electric car batteries shouldn't be in the same vicinity. What we've seen, in fact, is a much faster rate of decline than that from the projections that were made around 2008 or 2009 when the first contracts were being signed for the first batteries for the first modern electric cars, the Nissan Leaf and the Chevy Volt. There's some, I can never remember which one it is. There's an investment bank, global bank, that is now on, I think, its third or maybe fourth downward revision of cell costs. And the holy grail is $100 a kilowatt hour for a full battery pack, not just the cells, but the pack. And for context, a long-range electric car, let's say, has a 60-kilowatt-hour battery pack. Mm -hmm. So you're talking the battery to take you 200, 250 miles is six grand or less. When you get there and the rest of an electric car being much, much simpler with virtually no moving parts, then all of a sudden you get to the point where electric cars start to be cost competitive with vehicles the same size as them that have gasoline engines, which, parenthetically, are getting immensely more complicated to wring out very small gains sure. in fuel mm-hmm. efficiency yeah. to meet global standards. So the latest projections I've seen from one of the more optimistic uh, analysts is that we'll reach that parity in 2023, not 2025. But whosever numbers you get to this decade, between 2020 and 2030, we will see electric cars hit cost cost competitiveness. And then the game changes because then automakers actually have a desire to do what they have not done to date, which is competent, sustained, professional, interesting, effective marketing. (laughs) (laughs) 
So it, it looks like we're, we're going to stick with lithium ion for a while. Solid state yeah. technology, which I keep reading about a lot, and anyone I think who reads about cars is hearing about that, that's really just a version of lithium ion, is it not? It is. Um, it, chemically, it's different, but it's proven to be a tough uh, technology to build at scale for the kind of durability vehicles need. It, it, I, I try to explain to people in the consumer electronics world, um, vehicles have to last for 15 years. Mm-hmm. They have to operate at minus 40 Fahrenheit to 125 mm-hmm. Fahrenheit. <laughs> and you have to be able to drive them through mud and dust and whatnot. Um, can your laptop do that? No. <laughs> so, I don't know. My laptop um, can do that. I don't know what you're buying. <laughs> boy. Um, so... You know, automakers are much more cautious on battery technologies. We've got basically 30 years worth of work in today's lithium-ion cells in a variety of formats. Um, We will probably see solid-state cells come in at the high end of the market, you know, $100,000-plus vehicles, somewhere, you know, 2025-plus or minus three years. Okay. Um, But they will be rare. They will still be somewhat experimental, and I don't really expect to see them in volume production until the latter part of this decade. Things move slowly, even in the electric part of the auto world, and solid state shows promise for the future, but there's a heck of a lot of work to be done yet. And what kind of efficiency gain are we going to see from solid state? Um I haven't seen any numbers I'd be comfortable quoting you. Okay. Um, next question. <laughs> well, I, I actually have a question. You touched on it a little bit. Um, but, but what do you have to say to people who argue that electric cars are actually like dirtier and, and less ecologically sound than a gasoline car, like from, from cradle to grave? Um, okay. So cradle to grave... Um, if you look at carbon dioxide, mm-hmm. which is what causes climate change, there is no question that they are cleaner. If you look at the lifetime emissions to manufacture the vehicle to extract the things it's made out of. Now, there is a higher carbon footprint to make it and to make the batteries, but the amount of energy you are not using over the car's lifetime to propel it, it more than makes up for that, makes mm-hmm. up for that multiple times. Um, the, the question of where the minerals come from for the batteries, the metals and so forth, and in particular, um, cobalt, uh, mined by children in the Democratic Republic of Congo, or in one of the most cynical phrases I've heard this year, what certain parts of the mining industry like to call artisanal mining. Oh, geez. Oh, man. Wow. Oh, that's ugly. Sorry. Yeah. True story. Um, that has gotten a lot of press, deservedly so. And what we're seeing, uh, led mostly by the Europeans, is that almost all of the global car makers are starting to work to track the sources of the minerals that go into their batteries, mm. which is a tough, tough task yeah. sure. from cradle to grave. Um and there is that's really the ethical sourcing movement. So there are there are challenges. Mining is not a cost free process. On the other hand, I would argue that neither is extracting fossil fuels. Right. And the right. byproduct of burning them has its own consequences. So and th- and that's yeah, an- if you want. Go ahead. Yeah, and that's another great point uh, you made in the article, as y- you pointed out. Once you get petroleum from the ground and burn it. It's that's it, but the elements for batteries uh, you can reuse those. Yes, Northvolt, in fact, which is a European effort to start a major battery company, because the bulk of the cells today come from Japan, Korea, and China. Uh, so North America is way, way far behind. We have cell making plants, but they are owned by other countries. Um, the Northvolt effort expects that it will get back battery packs um, and recycle up to 90% of the material. Um, That's still years away. And it's worth pointing out, one of the other myths I got rid of was this whole notion that, oh, well, electric car batteries will just go into landfills, and that's terrible. 
Right. Um, so the lead acid starter battery, the 12-volt one, uh-huh. is possibly the most recycled consumer good in the world. Um, something like 90% of all lead acid batteries are reclaimed and safely broken down. In part, that's because lead is extremely toxic to right. human, right. and that's a good thing mm. to take them back. But um, all hybrid batteries, which are essentially like very small electric car batteries, they're high-voltage battery packs, all hybrid batteries are now taken back either in scrap yards or by the manufacturer and broken down into their parts. There are chains to do this, you know, systems set up. You don't think much about them. No. The same thing will happen with electric car batteries, but it'll happen much later in life because a battery for a car is considered done with its automotive use when it's down to about 70 or 80% of its original capacity, which is to say your 200-mile car now goes 140 miles. Right. But... It still has enormous yeah. value. Still a lot of life left. Secondary and tertiary ones. Um, I will probably build a house in the next few years, and it will be wired so that the solar panels I will put on it will connect in future to what will probably be a used electric car battery pack because it will be much cheaper than buying a new energy storage device. Hmm. And wow. there are businesses out there we haven't even thought of yeah. that entrepreneurs will think of <laughs> yeah. to use the supply of electric car batteries after they're taken out of the cars. Wow. John, we have burned all of our time, but this has been great stuff. We would love to have you back sometime. Happy to come back. As you probably figured out, I can talk about this stuff until the audience. <laughs> yeah, but it's completely worth hearing. John, are you working on anything right now we should know about? Um, I'm, I'm doing some research on an article one of the questions I get asked about is, why can't we have electric cars that run entirely on solar energy? Why can't you cover an electric car with solar panels and have it propel itself? Great question. Um, the answer is physics. But, um, <laughs> Darn it. We are getting Darn science to the point where uh, solar panels are getting more efficient. Um, and especially if you have a very, very lightweight car that is designed for efficiency, which is to say not most of what North Americans buy. Right. But um, if you have a very a car that uses battery energy very efficiently, you're starting to get to the point where you can conceive of a product that could get a portion of its total energy use directly from solar panels on it. And I'm curious to know where we are with that, what the the growth curve is and what that might look like 10 or 20 years well that'd be cool john where can we find that article when it posts uh that one will be on ieee spectrum uh, excellent which is a magazine for engineers my stuff can be found on uh green car reports which i used to run on charged evs uh spectrum and a variety of other outlets excellent john can, can we follow you someplace oh i'm sorry can we follow you someplace on social media Yes, uh, I'm on Twitter uh, fairly actively as people nag me about. Um, <laughs> and it's uh, J O H N V, like Victor, O E L C K E R. Awesome. Unpronounceable, but there you are. John, it was great having you on the show. We will definitely have you on again sometime soon. And we will post the, post the Seven Myths article on our Facebook page. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. All right. That was John Volker. We're going to be back in a moment. Take, uh, stay tuned. Welcome back to the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast. All right, we're back. This is the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast, and I am here with Jill Simonello and Damon Bell. Jill, how can we follow you in social media? Uh, you can find me on... And why would we do that? Because I'm awesome. All right. And uh, you, especially if you're a runner. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Just kidding. Oh. Car stuff. Car stuff. New I post a lot of car stuff. Yeah, And some running stuff. But um, I, <laughs> you can find me on Twitter and Instagram. Um, Jill Simonello. So J-I-L-L-C-I-M-I-N-I-L-L-O. Still haven't come up with that jingle. I swear it's coming. Um, but yeah, Twitter and Instagram. And um, you can find me. I, I do have a blog. It's called uh, Drive She Said. 
It's on Chicago now, and um, that actually might be the better place to start because all of my salient information is located there. Is that driveshesaid.com? Or? No, um, you'll find it on, if you go to Chicago now and then search for Chicago Drive now. She Said, and Chicago now is hosted by the Chicago Tribune. Gotcha. Yeah. So that's legit. It's it's kind of legit. The Tribune, that's legit. Some, most days it's legit. All right, Damon, you're still maintaining a MySpace account? <laughs> I've never had a MySpace account. <laughs> hey, I got a MySpace <laughs> account like a year ago just because I was curious, and then I... <laughs> Abruptly ditched it, but were sorry. There digital tumbleweeds <laughs> rolling past. Yeah, they were actually. Yeah. All right, uh, I'm on Twitter at David oh, Bell likes cars and all the consumer guide uh, social media outlets. Speaking of those, you can follow us here at the Car Stuff Podcast on Facebook. It is Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast. Easy to find. Sometimes there's pictures of me there. Why wouldn't you want to see that? Um, <laughs> oh, anyway, wait, that was rhetorical? What? Anyway, on to the next topic. <laughs> it was indeed rhetorical. Got it. Okay. All right, Damon, you're going to... Uh, I have a quiz for you guys. A quiz? Yes. No um, puns this week. No puns. Thank God. Um, if you got more, we'll do... We'll, we next can do week. This. Maybe right. next week. Yeah. Puns um, are good. I want to mm. see if you can reach the bottom of that barrel. And... <laughs> <laughs> We're scraping as it is. All right. We might be done with movies. All right. Uh, so I've got, uh, <laughs> you know, luxury as as crossover SUVs are have kind of taken over and are now more popular than passenger cars. Luxury vehicles have followed suit. Yep. And luxury SUVs are all over the place as well. And typically, SUVs in general cost more than their passenger car counterparts. The transaction prices are crazy higher. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is part of the reason that and people are willing people to pay are getting out of that yeah. yes yep um so i've got we 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 got two test vehicles in this week uh at consumer guide uh our test fleet so we've got a 2020 lincoln aviator brand new vehicle uh relaunched the aviator name for 2020 it's based on the uh, also redesigned for 2020 ford explorer platform and then uh, we've also got a Mercedes-Benz GLC 300-4-Matic, uh, which is uh, Mercedes-Benz's uh, compact luxury SUV. And is now a mild hybrid. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's a new engine for 2020. I was kind of surprised that the basic GLC platform has been around for as long as it has. I believe it dates back to 2016. Jeez. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't have got... Uh, yeah. It's like I, ancient in, the, you in, know, in today's yeah, world. Yeah. Today's world. That... Uh, uh, is is a long uh, long in the tooth, uh, but it, yeah, it does get a new powertrain for 2020 and a few other new f- features as well. So, uh, I've got those two vehicles, and right. I have the uh, window sticker, which we call Monroni uh, in the industry. So I've got the uh, window sticker with the bottom line prices, um, and I I will read off. Uh, well, let's start with the Mercedes Benz since that's the smaller okay. of the two vehicles. So this is Mercedes. Compact crossover. Yes. All right. Um, not a high performance version. Kind of the volume leader model in yeah. this line. Uh, and I will tell you, oh boy, I should have got uh, stronger glasses. It's got a pretty <laughs> healthy load of options. Would you like me to hold it back here for you? Uh, I don't think that's going to help. Uh, it's got extra cost paint, uh, extra cost interior, an AMG cranberry cranberry red black leather interior. Uh Upgraded dashboard and upper door sill trim. Man, there was a lot of standalone options here. Panoramic sunroof, uh, off-road engineering package, digital instrument cluster. Off-road engineering package. Yeah, and I'm not even uh, 100% sure what that includes. Uh, It sounds like $1,000 to me, but go ahead. Mm -hmm. Um, I can tell you it's it's less than that. Oh, all right. um, Yeah, this yeah, adjust your final guess, yeah. adjust I'm your final guess accordingly. Uh, Burmester surround sound system, so upgraded stereo Which is really good. Yes, and that is expensive. a good yes, stereo. You drive, you've driving this vehicle this week. I drove so. it here. Yeah, I drove it here. Um, wireless charging pad, uh, insulated uh, front and side pane glass, uh, driver assistance package, which includes a lot of the uh, driver aid safety gear. Parking assist package, exterior lighting package. Again, we've talked about this before. This is a luxury brand vehicle. You'd think some of this stuff might be standard. Maybe. But they... <laughs> but alas. But alas, it's not. This uh, is a lot of extra stuff. And and I wonder how many of these luxury vehicles actually go out the door uh, base equipped 
they can advertise competitive rate base prices, but as we'll see, uh, the bottom line really gets driven up by the options. Uh, multimedia package, which includes navigation, augmented video for navigation, night package, uh, <laughs> which is just trim, kind of blackout trim. Uh, AMG line, another trim package, uh, includes some body styling things, brushed aluminum sport pedals, yada, yada, yada. That's actually on the Monroney. Um, yada, and, yada, yada. And then premium package. Uh, Wait, on top of everything else, there's a premium package. There's a package. premium package, yeah. mm-hmm. which includes keyless entry. Again, keyless entry yeah. should be standard on a Mercedes. Yeah. So... Do you want to just take a shot in the dark and guess the bottom line price of this compact, mainstream Mercedes-Benz SUV, or do you want the base price? You want to take no, a no, shot no, no. We're, we're... Okay. Yeah. So... I've done too much math here for you to... to okay. Yeah. So go ahead with your guess at the bottom line sticker price. Tom, you can go. I'm giving you the advantage, Jill. This is like going first right. in the showcase he's showdown. He's like writing all this down. I'm like, I just got a number in my head. He's way more methodical and will probably be more exact I'm, than I'm me. I'm going to go 56,280. Ooh, that's that's less than what you've written down there. I know. That looks like a seven. I know because I second-guessed it. Okay. Yeah. Oh, this is high high pressure. 56,280 is Tom's guess. Jill, what's your guess? 65. I'm not even going to put in the 280 or whatever, but I, I think it's going to be closer to the mid-60s up towards 70. If this was a showcase showdown, Tom would win because if you go over, you lose. Got it. Right. So it's sixty thousand five hundred seventy. Yeah, well, I should have gone with the higher number. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm like I'm, that, that. You kind of split the difference with your lower guess. Yeah, you were a little closer. We kind of split it because you said sixty-five, mm-hmm. and I said fifty-six. Well, because with all those options, I'm, I feel I'm like just going to point out I'm a little closer. <laughs> Whatever. Well, with the, the it was the two eighty yeah. um, that pushed you, but yeah, um, yeah. the um, the, the Burmeister, Burmeister, Burmeister um, however you would like to pronounce that. I feel like that's like a two thousand dollar option, isn't it? Yeah. Actually, uh, it might have been, there might have been a higher level base system, but uh, let me. That is eight hundred fifty bucks. Oh, okay. So because I know in no, some vehicles no, that's it was. pricey. Back pricey. when we saw it first in like the CLS and uh-huh. S class, it was very expensive. Right. It was multiple thousands. It's also really good. And then and then in terms of just eye candy appeal the the, the steel guitar aluminum speaker oh grills. my god they're very beautiful, beautiful. Uh, yeah. that is like one of my most favorite instagram pictures to take is of that grill or on the um you know surrounding the speaker with the the like it almost looks like an s you know I, I, yeah. it's beautiful it's i've lovely. seen much more affordable cars mimic that now yeah so the value of that's going to start to diminish that, that hmm. is true so what, right. what is the base price that the, like good question because I, I was thinking I around would... like 45 48 it's a little less, isn't it? No, Jill's exactly is almost spot on. Forty four five hundred is the okay. Forty four five. Yeah, base price including destination, not including destination, not including destination. Okay, yeah, destination yeah, is nine hundred nine. Spot on. Because yes. that's why I was like, it's got to be higher because of like all of the bevy of options, which are, right. you know, again, as we've had the discussion with BMW, yeah. everything's an option, and it's like eight hundred, a thousand, two hundred, you know, whatever, you know, everything's an option. Yeah. So. Hmm. Okay. All right. Okay, so that's that. I think we have to we give that. We proved that neither one of us is good at guessing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, got, I got the base price. I think that Yeah, you did good on the base price. Decent All guessing. Right. I'm going to so, throw you that one. So now we're moving to the bigger vehicle, uh-huh. and that's the Lincoln Aviator, which is uh, a midsize premium uh, crossover SUV that does have a third row of seats. So uh-huh. uh, it's not... Not at the same level as as an Escalade or anything like that. I'm sorry, that. which trim level is this? This is uh, the Reserve, which and I'm is, not sure where that falls in the it's Aviator. It's below the black it's label. It's the middle, because there's a okay. Grand Touring, which uh, I'm not sure is quite available Grand yet. Grand Touring is the... That's the hybrid. That's, that's the, the hybrid, hybrid. And then so, you have black label, or... Uh, yeah. I think it's like premium select reserve black label. Yeah. If, if I'm... I, I could... I'm totally pulling that out of, like... That sounds right. ...a hole I, somewhere. If you're yeah. pulling that, it was probably a, a reasonably good yank. All right. La, 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 la. Anyway, uh, so this is a Aviator Reserve all-wheel drive. I think we've established it's probably a um, upper to midline trim level. Mm-hmm. Um, this is going to be, so it has the Equipment Group 200, 202A, 
this isn't going to be as much help to you because it's, it's no. a lot of... Pe- I love the 202A. <laughs> oh, there's some really oh, good stuff yeah. in the 202A. Yeah. Not, not, oh, yeah. not like the 202B. No. It's, it's like, it's like no. the Pantheon mm-hmm. of the Z, Camaro Z28 and Aviator 202A. <laughs> Everybody talks about it. It's a legend in its own time. Uh, so that equipment group, 202A, includes the Elements Package Plus. Uh, not sure off the top of our heads what that includes. Uh, the Lincoln Copilot 360 Plus package, which again is the uh, active safety equipment, and well, it's uh-huh. the, the plus because Copilot yes. General is, is standard, standard, isn't it? Yeah. And so oh, this is this is all like, wheel drive? It is. Okay. It is all wheel drive. Yeah. So this yes. will have like the park assist feature that'll park itself kind of while you're yeah. sitting in That's the driver's seat. That's part of the plus. Yeah. Yeah. Um, panoramic Vista sunroof. All right. Uh, upgraded V-rated tires with 22-inch mock alloy wheels. Uh, luxury package, a trailer tow package, and an illumination package. Um, then uh, convenience package, dynamic handling package, and full rear console. So instead of a second row uh, uh, bench seat, mm. it's got a console in the center. So With the it, it, chairs, captain's chairs. I believe that brings overall seating capacity down to six, right? Yeah, I think you're you correct, three. yeah. Yeah, because the third row, is, I think, is just two. yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, so that is the equipment level on that. So your guess. We'll start with Jill this time oh, for your oh, guess. Oh. Dang uh, it, because I was going to go with the dollar with the you know yeah, the the price you is right so that you don't go over. Um, you know, I I I think that so one of the great things that Lincoln does is that they include a lot of stuff. Um, for a, they're they're not German, um, so they, <laughs> in they terms of standard equipment. So their levels. pricing is is typically um, you get more for your money. Um, but I mean, again, three three row luxury vehicle, um, all new for twenty twenty. Um, there the the three hundred and sixty the Copilot three hundred and sixty plus is pretty cool. Um, I don't remember what that costs off the top of my head, but let's see. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go seventy thousand. Okay. I think you're a little low. I'm going to go 73,180. I was going to say 70,000 and a dollar? No. <laughs> you guys are both low, but Tom's huh. closer. 76,310. Wow. Okay. Wow. Yep. Yep. That's a that's a lot of dough. And that equipment that legendary equipment group 202A, yeah. guess what that equipment group costs? I wrote down $2,500. $10,125. Well, there's my problem. Smolly hoax. <laughs> there's my problem. Base price, uh, base price of this aviator reserve, uh, $58,700. Yeah. I got that close. I was I was 60 on that. Yeah, some very pricey. The convenience package, $3,390, and the dynamic handling package, $3,000. There you go. Yeah. All right. Jill, thanks for playing. <laughs> I did way better oh, at this one than last week. You know what you get, you know what you get as, a, as a prize? Oh, no, I'm, I'm not going to do that. No <laughs> All right. Damon, hey, Damon, well, what's going on at the blog? Um, Actually, we've got three minutes left. Producer oh, Paul, so, uh, we'll run it fast then. We've yeah. just got some, uh, right, uh, we've got uh, a couple of uh, photo features from Collectible Automobile that are oddly kind this, of this seasonally appropriate. Week, seasonally appropriate week. in that they are both red and white. <laughs> uh, we've got a 58 Ford Del Rio Ranch wagon photo feature. And a 1936 Singer Le Mans two-seater sports, uh, which is a kind of Jaguar SS100 looking sports car. I I have to admit, I'm not that familiar with the Singer brand, so I'll have to. I haven't read that article yet. I'll have to. I'm not either. Got a cool kind of dual windscreen, uh, and then we have a a future collectible and a a cheap wheels, uh, the Cadillac CT6V is the future collectible, and the Dodge Intrepid SXT is the cheap wheel. All right, choice. that is at the CG Daily Drive blog. Check that out. Correct. Damon, thanks for wrapping that up. Uh, happy holidays to everyone. This is the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast. Special thanks to producer Paul. Thank you for being here. Joel and Damon, thanks for being here. Thank you. Uh, thanks. Good, uh, big thanks to the good folks here at WCPT AM 820. Despite the donut incident, they have been very, very cool. <laughs> so we're glad, uh, It's been a great year. Uh, special thanks to my my radio mentor, Steve and Johnny. Check us out at consumerguide.com.